just so we're equipped to do something. Again, the beauty of this is you can even, you know, write it on a napkin as you're sitting at a restaurant and talking about God's design and how sin, human sin, has messed this up. We see brokenness all around us and then man's attempts to fix the brokenness. Uh, good point made up to, uh, made tonight by Jerry from brokenness. We share the gospel. Uh, he said, are we trying to get people to repent and believe before we share the gospel? No, it's just showing the direction. Our conversation is moving towards the gospel with their response, repent and believe, share the gospel. And that's how somebody is able to recover and pursue God's design for human life. So simple. Uh, Drew, open us in prayer tonight, and then we're gonna we're gonna one last time we're gonna see that four minute model presentation that he gives, and then we'll launch into tonight. So once I launch into tonight, you may want to go ahead and find Acts 17 in your copy of the scripture. But if you open us. Hey, it's Jimmy Scroggins again, working on our Gospel Conversations training. And I want to give you an example that you can maybe follow as you try to get ready to get reps to share the Gospel of Jesus. So I'm going to show you the three circles, just the Gospel piece right now on the board. The Bible tells us that God has a design for our lives, that God cares about every aspect of our lives. That's our families, that's our personal lives, that's our choices, our money, our sex life. Really everything about our life, God has a design for it. If we live according to God's design, then we have the opportunity to live in the arena of God's blessing. The problem is that all of us have a tendency to depart from God's design. When we depart from God's design, the Bible has a word for that, and the word is sin. And inevitably, when we sin against God, when we leave His design, we end up in a place that we call brokenness. Now, all of us know what brokenness feels like. It feels like emptiness. It feels like guilt. It feels like rejection, it feels like shame, it feels like regret. But when we get in this place of brokenness, we always try to fix it. So we try to maybe dive into a different relationship or try to make more money or try to become more religious. But whatever we do, we try to mitigate the pain of our brokenness. We try to escape our brokenness in some way. Now, brokenness really hurts and it feels like a terrible thing. But the truth is it's a good thing because brokenness draws our attention to the need for change in our lives. But the change that we need doesn't come from in here. The change we need comes from somewhere else. The good news is that the Bible tells us where that kind of change comes from. That kind of change comes from what's called the good news or the story of the gospel. Gospel is just a Bible word that means 
good news. The gospel is the story of Jesus. Jesus, who is the son of God, who came to earth and he never departed from God's design in any way, not even one time. But Jesus was crucified on the cross for, the Bible says, the sins of the world. That's my sins and your sins. And when Jesus was hanging on the cross, God did a miracle. He took the sins of the world, our sins, and put them on Jesus. And Jesus received the punishment from God for our sins. When he'd done everything that he came to do, he said, it is finished, and he died. They took his body off the cross, they buried him, and three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead. The Bible says that God raised him from the dead to prove that Jesus was who he said he was, the Son of God, and that he could do what he came to do, forgive our sins and heal the broken places in our lives. The kind of change we need doesn't come from in here. The kind of change we need comes from the gospel itself. The Bible says that what we need to do when we find ourselves in brokenness is repent of our sins. In other words, change our heart, change our mind, change our direction, and believe the gospel story. That's the story of Jesus, how he was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead. The Bible says if we'll repent and believe, then Jesus will come into our lives. He'll forgive our sins and begin to heal the broken places in our lives. And then the Bible says that God will give us the opportunity to recover and pursue God's design for our lives. The cool thing about this is that we get to recover and pursue God's design from wherever we are. We don't have to turn back the past. We get to go and believe God and walk with God from right here. Now this is just the gospel piece. There's other things that you need to learn and other things that you need to rep. But I hope that this will help you as you learn to share the gospel of Jesus, turning everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Find Acts chapter 17 in your copy of the scripture. Acts chapter 17. And uh, tonight we're going to kind of zero in on what we ended with two weeks ago. How sometimes you have the red light response. Uh, sometimes the yellow light response. Sometimes the green light response. We're going to talk about that tonight and what I mean by that or what this study means by that. Uh, look at uh, Paul in Athens beginning there in verse 16. Acts 17, verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, you remember what's just happened to Paul? Paul was in Thessalonica, right? And some Jews stirred up the people. Uh, Paul's friends had to sneak him out of town. They got him down to Berea. And what happened in Berea? They searched the scriptures diligently to see if the things that Paul said was true. But when some of the Jews from Thessalonica heard that he was down there preaching, they went down there and got after him. And uh, again, the disciples had to sneak him out of town. And he went to Athens uh, just to wait for the rest of his traveling companions to join him. So it says, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. So where was he? Went to the synagogues, right? And where else? 
the marketplace, the grocery store, yep. Just, you know, as he's going about life and meeting people out in the marketplace, the people who happen to be there. Um, and really, again, that's what this is designed for. Just as you're out in the marketplace, maybe having a lunch with a business associate or a neighbor. It says, also some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus. That was both a place and a council, like the city council. And then they had a place in the town, a court called the Areopagus, where the Areopagus Council would meet. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though indeed he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, okay, see if you can see the three responses. Some scoffed. What response is that? That's the red light. Yep. But others said, we'll hear you again about this. What's that? Yellow light. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers. What's that? Green light. Including Dionysius, the Areopagite. One one of the council members and a woman named Damaris, 
and others with them. You know, I think of that occasion with, uh, with the Old Testament prophet Elijah. You know, Ahab and Jezebel were in power and Jezebel had brought Baalism into the land to a, deg- a degree that had not even been known before. She was spreading Canaanite paganism everywhere among the Hebrews. Uh, she, did, she did just unspeakable damage to the worship of Jehovah God. And God's patience had reached a limit. And so he raised up Elijah the prophet who confronted Ahab and Jezebel. And sooner or later, you know the story. What did Elijah say when, when, uh, when they met him and said, Is that you, old troubler of Israel? Blaming Elijah for the trouble, for the, for the uh, drought. And he said, I'm not the troubler. You are. You know, that's, that was the pagans blaming the believer, right? And, he, and Elijah said, I'm not the problem, you are. And what did he invite them to do? Hmm? Okay. Exactly. Uh, let's meet such and such time on Mount Carmel. And uh, you bring your 400 prophets of Baal. And I'll meet there with you. So they're going to have a showdown. You know, I I couldn't help but think, as you read Paul in Athens, you see some parallels between him and Elijah, don't you? Because both men grew disgusted at the spiritual darkness that they had encountered in the culture around them. And so both men confronted their culture with God's word. You know, as Christians, we ought to be stirred in our hearts by spiritual darkness in our culture. We ought to be stirred. As I mentioned earlier, Paul had come from Berea to to Athens. Paul had to leave Thessalonica, then Berea because of persecution. and, And he was just supposed to be in a holding pattern in Athens. And there he was in Athens, just in a holding pattern, waiting on his companions to join him. And what does the text say happened to him? What happened to Paul? He was burdened. He was stirred in his spirit. Uh, The word can mean provoked. It can mean distressed. Negative connotations. It can even have a positive connotation. Stimulated. Um, he He was stimulated to speak because of all the idols that he saw most take it in the negative he was provoked but again it could could mean either what he saw in the culture stirred his heart you know for all of their wisdom in Greek society they they were the wise men of the day the Greeks that's what they were known for in a you know the Romans they were the they were the powerhouse uh, empire And they were known for doing great projects, building projects, road projects, building the empire. But the Greeks were the thinkers. They were the 
intelligentsia of the day. And their, their uh, philosophers and teachers that they had. I mean, to this very day, in college, what do students do in universities? They'll study about Socrates, um, Plato, Aristotle, and all the advancements the Greeks made in things like mathematics and the sciences and literature. They were the academics of the day. And yet, for all of their wisdom, they were fools spiritually and they had populated Mount Olympus with gods made in the image and likeness of man there was also savagery even among their their mythological gods you read about what they believed about their gods their gods would be involved in immorality and savagery Paul saw them as being bankrupt. They had slipped into sensuality and idolatry. And they were worshiping graven images. And so again, he was stirred. He was, he was provoked when he saw this. Uh, the only other time this word is used in the New Testament is in 1 Corinthians 13. When Paul's writing about love. And he says, love is not easily provoked. Well, a Christian ought to also be vocal in his convictions. Paul's heart was being stirred, and that led him to say something. You know, we can come to church, can't we, and get all fired up, say, Amen, preacher, amen, preacher, and then go home and do nothing with it. Well, they, they took Paul to the Areopagus, which again was both a council and a place, uh, they're putting Paul in a, in a court-type setting, uh, even though this is probably not an official hearing like he's in court, but still it's, it's an official gathering. And they want the city fathers to hear and judge what Paul is saying. You know, that kind of reminds me of what Jesus said. You know, when they, when they haul you before courts, don't worry about what to say. What did Paul do? What did Paul immediately begin doing? He preached Jesus. Exactly. And notice how he did it. He found common ground. Found common ground. What's this been teaching us as we're sitting down with somebody trying to find some common ground? Maybe through a tragedy in their life or trial in their life. Just finding common ground and using that as an invitation to share with them. That's all he's doing. Uh, they could relate to what he was talking about. Because they even had an altar to an unknown God. Could you imagine a society being so idolatrous that just in case they might have missed one God and offended that God, they're going to put up an altar to him and call it the altar to the unknown God. They don't want to offend that God just in case we've missed one out there. Kind of reminds you of what Hindus would do, right? <clears throat> and Paul says, beginning there in verse 27, he's pointing out that the, the, the good news 
is that God is not far from any of us. He's not like the Greek God. The Greeks believe their gods were distant and disconnected. Oh, they had their plethora of gods. Trouble is, their gods, they believed, just didn't care anything about them. Or they believed if their gods did get involved in their lives, it may be that one day they might do something and they'd offend that God and that God would actually be out to get them. So Paul preaches the good news about Jesus being near. And then, you know, as he's wrapping things up, he points out God has overlooked times of ignorance. But he's commanding now that all men must do what? Repent and believe. So what's he doing? He's presenting the gospel and he's given an invitation, right? <clears throat> Paul didn't beat around the bush. You know, a Christian should be clear in the gospel presentation, talking about the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and then clear in giving the invitation. That's what Paul's doing. He didn't beat around the bush. He says, now's the time. Now's the time to repent and believe. And their response in verses 32 to 34, some mocked, some procrastinated, some believed. Again, this is the red light, yellow light, green light responses that three circles tells us about. The Bible is so contemporary because that's the responses the Apostle Paul got. And you know what? This is the responses you and I still get today. Men haven't changed. And folks, it's a reminder that the harvest is up to God, not us. God is the one who is the Lord of the harvest. In the book of Acts, earlier, uh, Luke would write, and the Lord added to his church daily those who were being saved. He's Lord of the harvest. What you and I are to be is witnesses. Planting the seed. And we might plant a seed. Somebody else comes along and waters. But it's God who gives the increase. Only God can give the increase. And the green light responses. Boy we love those don't we. Just like when I was using that. Steps piece with God pamphlet. With Chris. And yeah he's ready to pray. I told you how years ago. I mean, this not been recent by any means. Two ladies across the road. I was out visiting with a man in the church, and we it was probably 9 o'clock one night. We, we, in fact, we were at the point of thinking, you know, it's probably too late to be knocking on doors now. It was the summertime, but still we thought, it's getting pretty late. Knocked on their doors. The daughter came to the door. It's the daughter and her mother together. They've since moved. But they're like, you're from over there? Come in here. We're talking about something. And we went in there, and the daughter had been trying to share the gospel with her mother and didn't know how. And she's like, can y'all help me? We took our Bibles and went 
through the book of Romans. And the mother came to faith in Christ. Um, those, those green light situations, they, they get you excited about witnessing, don't they? Uh, I know Kevin was sharing the other day. And uh, uh, Kevin, I think it was a uh, premarital counseling session one time. Green light, he's sharing the gospel with the couple. And invited them to come to Christ. And they're like, yes, this is what we need. Uh, it's great to have those. Uh, the yellow light. What do you do in the case of the yellow light? Try to keep the conversation going. You know, invite them to church. You know, can, can we talk more? You know, they claim statisticians... And people who look at church things in America, like Ed Stetzer, for example, says 50% of people, even those among the not willing right now to come to Christ, even among that crowd, 50% are ready and willing and able to come to your Sunday school class with you and come to your church with you. 50%. Even those who respond, you know, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to think about what you're talking to me about. Invite them to Sunday school. Invite them to church. Meet them out in the parking lot. Don't say come into a strange place, all these people, and try to find me. I'll look for you. You look for me. No, tell them where you'll meet them. Uh, I, well, I'll, I'll give another example on that a little bit later. And then there, there's the red light. You'll have those. I've had people open the door and I'd introduce myself as pastor here and begin talking. And they'd just step back and shut the door. Folks, it's no big deal. I mean, it's a big deal for them to reject. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying... People are so scared of being rejected. No big deal. You just turn around and leave. Right? Uh, if they do give you a moment, if they're not interested at all, if they do give you a moment, you can still try to keep the conversation going by saying, I know you don't want to talk right now, but I tell you what, if, if a need ever comes up in your life, just, just remember, I'm right down the road in that church. If you ever need to just stop by and somebody pray with you, we'll be there. Okay, okay. And they shut the door. Try to keep, try to keep it going if you can. Uh, I want us to watch another video. The two videos tonight aren't quite as long, so I think we'll get two in tonight. But uh, let's, let's watch the video on, on this, these responses here and the red light and green light and yellow light and all and what he has to say about that. So Jonathan, if you'd get that going. Welcome back to week five of our Gospel Conversation training. We've been training hard, getting in our reps, and I hope that you're starting to see the payoff. You're getting really good at your transitions, your Gospel presentations, and your invitations, but every invitation invites a response. 
And I want to help you see how every response can be a win. We don't want to send you out on a journey with no idea of where you might end up. Thanks to modern technology, we don't have to stop and ask for directions anymore. But there's nothing more frustrating than having Siri's voice constantly redirect you as you take wrong turn after wrong turn. Not that it's ever happened to me with a van full of eight kids, but I'm just saying that I could imagine it being a very humiliating situation. So we don't want to frustrate or humiliate you as we send you out on God's mission. We want to give you a clear idea of where you're headed. This session will focus on the three places you're likely to end up as you turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. We've given you the pattern. I sure hope you know it by now. There's a place to write it again in your trainee guide, TGI, because every day we look for opportunities to transition the conversation to the gospel and invite people to repent and believe in Jesus. Imagine you've successfully executed your well-practiced transition statement, presented the three circles, including your clear gospel piece, and reached the crossroads. You've positioned yourself to get one of three responses, a red, yellow, or green light. They mean exactly what you think they mean. Basically, stop, slow down, or keep going. As with most things, there's nothing new under the sun. Responses to the gospel are as old as the gospel itself. We see that in Acts chapter 17, verses 32 to 34, where Luke writes, Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, We will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Let's look first at the red light response. Some mocked. It's this response that makes us most fearful to tell people the good news. Even though we can tell somebody it's good news that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and that God raised him from the dead, even though we can tell somebody that God is planning a huge party and he's invited them to come, even though we personally believe these things, we're still afraid that people are going to mock us. We think they're going to reject this good news and then reject us too. And yes, that may happen. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you're of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. There, no surprises. Some people will reject the message that God loves them and has made a way out of their brokenness. We get many reports like this one. I shared the gospel with the tattoo artist and got a fat red light. Not just a red light, a fat red light. I think that means it was an emphatic no. We tell people to respond graciously and take this response at face value. We shouldn't argue or debate or try to pull out all of our best apologetic moves. Instead, we can say something like this. Thanks for listening to me. If you ever find yourself in a place of brokenness, I hope you'll remember this conversation and that God has made a way to help you. If they keep that napkin or that piece of paper with the three circles on it, you never know how God might use that in the future. The goal of our reaction to a red light response is to be gracious so future gospel conversations are possible. Next, we have our yellow light response. But others said, we will hear you again about this. It means that they need to think about it. They need more time and exposure to the gospel and the teachings of Jesus. They're open to what they've heard, but they're not ready to repent and believe. Again, we take this at face value as well. 
However, we also realize it may be a long time before they have another gospel conversation. This is a great opportunity to invite someone to your Bible study or small group. Ed Stetzer has found that 42 to 61% of non-Christians would be willing to study the Bible with a friend. People are often more open to talking about life and God than we might think. God is working on their hearts and drawing them to Jesus. I developed a friendship with a successful businessman in our community over the last three or four years. He's a very kind and good person, but the truth is, he's far from God. I put him on my prayer list and I had been praying for him when he called and asked me to go to breakfast. He had some problems and thought that maybe I could help since I'm a pastor and all that. I went to breakfast, listened, transitioned to the gospel conversation, and got a yellow light. I've shared the three circles with him multiple times now, and I've told him other stories from the Bible. I've even been in his house. Now we have an ongoing conversation about the gospel, and I'm not giving up hope. The goal of our reaction to the yellow light is to extend the conversation. Let's keep praying, extending the conversation, and wait to see what God will do. Finally, in Acts 17, we read that some men joined him and believed. This is our green light response. It's the one we're always hoping and praying that we'll get. There's nothing like it. We walked you through what to do with that response last week, right? You lead them in your well-practiced, theologically accurate prayer. However, there's another possible green light response. It's when people tell you that they are already believers. This presents another great opportunity. You can train them just like we've been training you. The goal of our reaction to a green light is to help someone take the next step. Belief, training, discipleship, Bible study, baptism, and connect with the church family. I hope you've already grasped the fact that the three circles are easily reproduced. I personally know that the three circles have been drawn on napkins, on boulders in the Blue Ridge Mountains, in concrete, in the sand, and they've been presented using tortillas. They've been shared with kids, teenagers, adults, prisoners, homeless people, and people all over the world. The three circles have been translated into Spanish, Creole, Japanese, Filipino, and Falam. I had to Google that one. That's what they speak in Myanmar. Myanmar is a country close to the gospel and a place where Christians face intense persecution. We even had one report that 21 Iranians repented and believed after hearing the three circles. We're literally hearing thousands of stories from around the world about people who are repenting and believing the gospel because of the three circles. God is using this tool to carry his message of reconciliation into even the darkest of places. So no matter how old you are, how long you've been a believer, where you are, what language you speak, or what materials you have, you can turn an everyday conversation into a gospel conversation. You're ready to transition, to tell someone the whole gospel, invite them to respond, and now you're ready to wrap it all up. We can be prepared for every type of gospel response. We've given you examples of how to handle each of them, but again, we're going to let you make them your own. So let's close by getting reps on everything. I want you to pair off and take turns presenting a problem, issue, or concern so that you can each get a rep. Transitioning the conversation, sharing the three circles with your clear and complete gospel presentation, asking our two invitation questions. Where do you see yourself in this diagram? Is there anything that will prevent you from repenting and believing the gospel right now? Then reacting to whichever response you get, red, yellow, or 
green light. You have examples in your trainee guide, and your facilitator will help you during your practice time, and then he or she will give you some time to work on your red and yellow light responses, celebrate your stories, and assign your personal training for the week ahead. So let's keep practicing, and let's get those reps. So as you look at your book, uh, what's, the, what's the first fill-in-the-blank you need to have? Transition. Okay, what's next? Gospel and invite. Okay, the next two. Responses. Old is the gospel itself. Okay, some mock, this is the red light response. The goal of our reaction to a red light response is to be gracious so future gospel conversations are possible. But others said, we will hear you again about this. This is our yellow light response. The goal of our reaction to a yellow light is to extend the conversation some men joined him and believed this is our green light. In the case of already a believer, train them just like we've been training you. The goal of our green light response is to help the people take their next steps. The three circles are easily, what's the word we're looking for? Reproduce. And then finally, we can be prepared. Exactly. We'll divide up in a minute, but uh, before we do that, we're going to even watch the other video uh, in just a minute, not quite yet. But uh, in, the, in the very last session tonight, what we're going to be looking at is uh, now what? Now what? You know, we, we see all this, we've learned it, hopefully. And uh, one thing they would like us to do, and I, I think this is a, a neat reminder, at 10.02 every morning, even if you have to set a clock, remind yourself at 10.02 to maybe just take a moment and stop and pray. Luke 10.2 says what? That's the passage where Jesus said, you know, the fields are white. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send more out into his harvest field. Because as we're praying for God to do that, guess what? God might put it on your heart to be part of the answer to your own prayer, right? So just a reminder every day to pray about the harvest and the workers that are needed. And make yourself available to God. Um. We're going to see in this next video how we need to be encouraging people that maybe you've just led somebody to the Lord. Encourage them to turn around and share their faith in Christ. You know, we could say, well, do we really want them to do that yet? It's kind of risky, but you know, we see in the New Testament that takes place. Somebody comes to Christ, I think of the woman in John 4 at the well, comes to Christ, immediately went and told her whole town folk. Or you see uh, Andrew, 
going and finding Peter. Uh, you, you see people in the Gospels, the, the garrison demoniac. Uh, immediately he wanted to follow Jesus and Jesus said, No, go and tell people in, in your village the great things God's done for you. Um, why is it important, you think, to, to encourage a brand new believer to share their decision that they've just made to come to Christ? Right? They're excited. They're on fire. Exactly. 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 Over time, and studies show this as well, the longer we're in church, what, who do we tend to associate with in church? One another, Christians. Uh, we don't really have that many lost friends, do we, that we really associate with closely. But you win somebody to the Lord, and chances are his or her whole network of friends, they're still unbelievers. So they got a mission field around them. So encourage them to go and tell some of their friend and friends and family members uh, what's just happened with them. So encourage them to do that. You know, uh, I think of Dathan Hall in our church, who's pastor now in northeastern North Carolina, uh, First Baptist Roanoke Rapids. After he came to faith in Christ, uh, immediately. I'll never forget the Sunday that his wife, Amy, they were sitting up there. She came down in the invitation. And out in the lobby afterwards when folks were welcoming Amy into the church, I was looking at Dathan. I had no idea who he was. And I thought, he's either miserable or he is hot under the collar with the decision his wife has just made. And I thought, this is going to be interesting where this is going to go. Well, he was calling me on the phone that week. And uh, I'd been gone to a convention that week or something and got back. And he said, I've been looking for you. And I said, what's up? I'm the man that his wife came forward. Said, yeah. He said, God wanted me to come forward too. I've been, I've been calling and uh, they tell me, you've been gone to a convention this week, and I was afraid I'd miss my chance to be saved. i got to be saved. And I was able to lead him to Christ on the phone. Well, what did he do immediately? He, he came to us and said, listen, uh, I want to teach through the Gospel of John to my coworkers. He worked in the financial field. And he said, can I meet in this building right in behind here on Thursday nights? I've got a group of co-workers. They want to study the Bible. They're lost. And week after week, more of his co-workers would be coming to study the Bible. And one after another, guess what was also happening? He was leading them to faith in Christ. So encourage people. Encourage new believers to... Uh, to share with their friends and co-workers and family members. Uh, we also encourage new believers by giving them some discipleship training material. Uh, one thing we give here at Pitts is something called the survival kit. Have you ever seen the survival kit? Are you acquainted with that? It's just a simple six-week 
study for a new believer. And it comes in an adult version, a youth version, and a kid's version. So if you've led somebody to faith in Christ, call us. We'll get you one of those survival kits. And go through it with them. Meet, meet with them. There's things to do every day, five days a week. Uh, they have like one day to review what they did over those five days and one day off. And so it's not seven days a week, but five days a week they have assignments in that survival kit to do something. And get that material to them. And uh, like I say, go through it with them. And encourage them to uh, come to church, make their uh, faith public, and follow the Lord in believers' baptism. And uh, if it's somebody that's co-worker who's traveled in and been in the office and they're traveling back home uh, try to help them find a, a church where they're from that they can go and make their faith public so just you know when you lead somebody to faith in Christ don't just drop them there but try to get them some material invite them to church and so forth well let's watch this next video it's going to talk about some of this what's next stuff and then uh, one last time we're going to divide up into groups Welcome back to week six of our Gospel Conversations training. This is it, our last training session together. We've trained hard, and now you're ready. Who knows, maybe one of you will be the next Peter or John. Remember what happened in Acts chapter four? Peter and John were on their way to church when they saw a man they'd seen many times before. He was the town beggar, a nobody in their eyes, and in the eyes of all who saw him begging day after day. He was a crippled man, he had no potential and honestly, very little hope of making anything of himself. He asked Peter and John for money. And since he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter immediately transitioned that everyday conversation to the gospel. Think about it. He'd probably had that encounter before. Prior to receiving the Holy Spirit power, he may have given the man a small sum of money or mumbled, I'll pray for you, as he hurried in to get his seat. Not this time. This time he said to the man, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. The guy gets up and goes bananas. I mean, he's running and leaping and praising God. When everyone sees him going crazy, they start going crazy too, and a riot breaks out. And then Peter turns an everyday riot into a gospel riot. He preaches the gospel. Jesus crucified on the cross for sins and raised from the dead. And 5,000 men believed that day. Now, this greatly annoyed the people in charge. So they brought Peter and John in for questioning. And the Bible says that they were amazed at their boldness. Because clearly, Peter and John were uneducated, common men. The people that Jesus chose to take his gospel to the world were ordinary people. Well, the authorities threatened them and ordered them to stop talking about Jesus. But they said they couldn't do it. They told them they had to keep talking about the things they had seen and the things they had heard. Well, this is my goal for these trainings. I pray it's already happening. 
as we're faithful to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations, sick people, crippled people, poor people, broken people, all of them have an opportunity to be healed. And by healed, I mean that they can repent of their sins, turn to Jesus, and begin to recover and pursue God's design for their lives. Jesus said, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? People who have been crippled by sin are just as excited about getting healed as that crippled beggar. Their changed lives are an incredible testimony to everyone who knew them before Jesus transformed them. New believers are rocket fuel for gospel momentum. South Florida, where I live, is the recovery capital of America. There are treatment centers and halfway houses everywhere, and we have a lot of recovery people in and around our church. One of our church members used the three circles to share the gospel with a young guy who was in treatment for his heroin addiction. It wasn't hard for him to recognize his brokenness, and he was eager to accept God's way out. He immediately repented and believed in Jesus. Well, the three circles worked, but now what? This is the question I want to answer in this last session. Hopefully, you've already been asking that question as you've been out getting in your gospel reps. In those instances when we get the green light and the person repents and believes the gospel, we want to seize that unique opportunity that this gives us. Let's take a few notes in our training guides. First, we want to immediately train and disciple new believers. We train them by reviewing 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21 with them. We show the new believer how he or she is a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. We tell her that she has been reconciled to God, and that now God wants her to go out and tell others. Next, we have the new believer practice the three circles with us, and then we challenge her to immediately share the three circles with at least one other person in the next 24 hours and report back via phone call or text. In the case of the guy in recovery, he went back to his halfway house and 24 hours later reported that he had shared the gospel seven times. It turns out he knew a lot of broken people. People who are far from God know a lot of other far from God people. Now some may argue that it's a risky strategy to tell brand new believers to immediately share the gospel. Well, it may be risky, but it's also biblical. God records for us a number of examples where those who heard and believed immediately went and told others. There's Levi, the tax collector, who left everything to follow Jesus. When he came home, he invited all of the other dirty, rotten tax collectors to a party at his house so they could meet Jesus. There's the woman Jesus met by the well one day, the one no one talked to, but everyone talked about. She was living with the man who wasn't her husband, and she had had five husbands before him. Once she realized Jesus was the Messiah, she went and told everyone in town, and the Bible says many of them believed. That's in John chapter four. There's a man out of whom Jesus cast a herd of demons. The Bible says he immediately went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, meaning 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. That's in Mark chapter five. The gospel spread like wildfire because these new believers were telling everyone they knew the good news about Jesus. Just like the healed beggar, they were excited to tell others. After we train new believers to share the gospel, we disciple new believers to obey Jesus' commands to get baptized and to gather regularly with other believers. We want them to connect to a gospel-believing church. We often start discipleship with a one-on-one -on -one tool called the Seven Commands of Christ. Now, your church may have another short-term discipleship plan. There are a lot of good ones out there, 
but find something that emphasizes obedience. Jesus made that clear when he commissioned his followers to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's not about what we know. It's about what we do with what we know. I just want to reiterate for you a few important principles that I hope will stay with you for weeks and maybe years to come. We are God's plan for reconciling the world to himself. We are ordinary people, just like the apostles, and we have the same Holy Spirit power that indwelled them. The Holy Spirit is still doing what he did on the first day he ever showed up. He is motivating us to tell people the good news about Jesus who died for our sins, was buried, and was raised from the dead. Let's choose to keep praying for those we know who are far from God. Keep adding names to your prayer list. Prayer precedes Holy Spirit power. We set our phone alarms to pray every day at 10.02 because Jesus told us in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. We have to pray and keep on praying. Keep thinking T-G-I and then every day look for opportunities to transition the conversation to the gospel and invite people to repent and believe in Jesus. Keep getting your reps. Practice your transitions. Practice your three circles presentations with a clear and complete gospel message. Practice using your two questions to invite people to repent and believe. Practice your responses. Practice your salvation prayer. We don't want our tools to get rusty because we just leave them sitting in the toolbox. We need to keep using what we've learned so that God can keep using us to make his appeal to others. God has given us the play. You've trained, you've practiced, and you're ready to keep seizing opportunities to turn everyday conversations into gospel conversations. Let's make good use of our final time together. Remember what we said at the beginning about the importance of reps, how it takes 10,000 reps to master a skill? We've done a lot of reps over the last six weeks, but I doubt we made it to 10,000. So one more time, go ahead and pair off and take turns presenting a problem, issue, or concern so that you can each get a rep. I want you to rep transitioning the conversation, sharing the three circles with your clear and complete gospel presentation, asking your two invitation questions, and then reacting to whichever response you get, the red, yellow, or green light. I can't wait to see what God does through you as you let the Holy Spirit do what he did the first time he showed up here. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to see a gospel movement. Most of us have heard about these movements, but we've never seen them. But we don't want to just hear it. We don't want to just read about it. We want to see it. We want to see multitudes come to Christ. We want to see families healed. We want to see people far from God weep over their sins, repent, and believe in Christ. God, let us see it. We want to see multitudes come to Christ. We want to see families healed. We want to see people far from God weep over their sins, repent, and believe in Christ. God, would you let us see it? Well, now it's time for us to go and do it. Let's go get those reps. Uh, looking at your orange booklet uh, on page 34, uh, the blanks to fill in. We want to immediately train and disciple new believers. Uh, we train them by one, 
reviewing 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 with them. Having them practice gospel conversations using the three circles with us. Having them practice gospel conversations using the three circles with us. Challenging them to immediately share the three circles with at least one other person in the next 24 hours. Hmm? To immediately share. Mm -hmm. Uh, We disciple new believers to obey Jesus' commands to be baptized and gather regularly with other believers. We are called to participate in God's plan for reconciling the world to himself. Let's choose to keep praying. Keep practicing. And keep getting reps. What's the big deal about going over it again and again and again? It just kind of solidifies it in your heart and mind. I've encouraged you to take a blank sheet of paper and write out your presentation just write it out they say writing something one time is equal to going over it in your head 11 times so write out the presentation Uh, initially it's it's fine if you need to use the app on the phone the app on the phone is great going through each segment of this or a track invite the person Uh, to just go through the track with you initially before you really get it in your heart good. Well, I think most of you have been, uh, you've kind of been pairing up with the same group uh, each time. Let's do that one last time tonight. Those groups you've been pairing up in and have a couple in your group share the presentation. Okay? Okay. So kind of move around right now and get in those groups you've been uh, going to.